He wasn't a particularly good doctor, but maybe, just maybe, he knew exactly what he was doing. You're listening to old-timey crimey, crimes from the golden age of yesteryear. Now, here are your hosts, Christy, Amber, and Scott. It's old timey crimey. I'm Christy. I'm Scott. And I'm Amber. And we are here back with you again, bringing you more true old timey crime e. But first, rays of light, bringing us something warm in this world. Uh, I'll go first because I usually like make you guys go first, so I feel like I, I should do it once in a while. Um, Hemingway, <laughs> not the author, but my cat. Uh, who everybody adores. He is is now our only cat, and we're going to keep it that way for a while because he's never been an only cat in our household. He's always had fellow cats, but he's never really gotten along great with them. He's never really cared about other cats. He only cares about human beings. So uh, he's a nice. cat. Exactly, yes. Well, sometimes the other cats would snuggle, but Hemingway would never really get in on that action. So, um, I mean, snuggle with each other. So Hemingway, he has, as, as all cats and dogs do multiple nicknames and his main one that has sort of stuck and become his main name is germs which derives from back in the t9 word days of like flip phones when jackson was trying to text me back hemingway something and he typed germings way which um ended up in him sending me a paint picture uh a picture he made in microsoft paint that was uh, a bastardization of Old Man and the Sea, and it was Goldman Undersea. <laughs> so that is outstanding. We we have weird things <laughs> in our household. So yeah, his name is Germs, Germings Way, the Germsinator, Germsalicious. Um, yeah, we have all kinds of Germs-related names for him. May and I may it, I throw a new one out there? Sure. See Montgomery Germs. Ooh, I like it. I like it. I like yeah. it. A double germs. <laughs> and he can even twiddle his thumbs because oh, he has thumbs. So adorable. <laughs> like we're looking at somebody in a cat suit walking on all fours. Yes. So, yeah, he has been extra hilarious lately. Like, he gets his medicine every night in some wet cat food. And I, I love listening to Jackson talk to Hemingway while he's giving him his food. Like, he's preparing it and he's crushing out the pill and putting it in there. And he, he, his phrasing, he always says is, oh, is this for the germs? This is for the germs. This is for the germs. He just keeps on saying it over and over. And Hemingway gets so excited. He's there all around Jackson's feet and he's meowing, which he's never been a particularly vocal cat. So that's always um, refreshing to hear. It's like, oh, good. Your vocal cords still work. That's, that's good to know. But it's just cute to listen to every night. And it's funny how... Much like some cats will come running if you open up the can opener after you, you know, they've gotten used to getting tuna or something like that. Um, Hemingway will come running as soon as Jackson says, it's for the germs. So that's my little weird ray of light. Aww. Who wants to go next? I'll go next. Um, so my daughter came home from visiting her dad. She was gone for about a week and a half. And, um, she had the most epic train ride ever. So <laughs> first, the first train she was supposed to catch 
there was a bridge malfunction. And so that train was unable to get to the station. Okay. So a couple hours later, they drum up a second train. So she gets on the second train. Mind you, now we're a few hours behind, but cool, whatever. We're coming home. And that train gets about halfway through the journey and then gets stopped because a tree fell on the the, uh, railway. Oh, my gosh. So then they're all stuck on the train as crews had to clear off the tree so the train could continue on. And uh, all told, she did get home eventually. It was originally supposed to be at, like, I think the train usually comes in around, like, 3. She got in and we got home at, like, 8.30. So it was a long day, but she's home. She's safe. She's happy. She's glad to be back. So all in all, it was a, a good trip, and it's good to have her back. So that is my ray of sunshine for the week. Aww. Oh, good. Well, nice. Welcome home. <laughs> Scott. So Monday I come home from work, and I'm hearing meows, and be damned if there aren't two kittens in my yard, and their mother's nowhere to be found, and me, the soft asshole that I am, I start feeding them, and I eventually take in one of them. I take in both. I can't find the other kitten right now. I hope he's okay. If I find him, I'll take him in. But now I have a new cat. His name is Newton because the little fucker likes to experiment with gravity and knock shit over. Um, <laughs> but on top of that, it was, it was a weird day Monday. I kept getting stuff I didn't ask for. I didn't ask for a new cat. I got one. And I've been having a lot of trouble sleeping lately. So I'm on the couch and I finally get to sleep. And about 10 minutes after I fall asleep, the doorbell rings. I'm like, fuck, I don't know what it is. I thought maybe it was the police. Because on Saturday, I was doing a live uh, stream on YouTube on Saturday. And as soon as I started the live stream, I heard thunk and tires squealing. And some kid got hit by a car out, out, right out in front of my house. Oh, my God. Yeah. So I thought maybe the police were, had not swung by and wanted to ask me questions. What did I see? Stuff like that. And uh, no, I, I go out there. There's nobody on the porch. Uh, the first, did I fucking dream? I looked to the right, and there's a Stromboli I did not order sitting there <laughs> waiting for me. What the hell? And I'm like, what? Yeah, that's exactly my, what the hell? And I look down, and it says 519 and my street. I don't live at 519 my street. I live at 615 my street. They just dropped it off at the wrong place. So I ended up calling uh, the local pizzeria and going like, uh, hey, uh, you dropped a pizza off at my house. And they went, oh, we're sorry. You order so much from us. We just assumed it was yours. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, oh, I've got a weight problem. (laughs) But they came by and took the Stromboli, which I felt they should have just made a new one for somebody else and gave me that one for free. But that didn't happen. You know, if I'm such a if I'm such a repeat customer, I should have gotten the Stromboli for free. So I didn't get a free Stromboli. I got a free cat. I, I think I've made the wrong decision, but he's he's fucking adorable. He is, and we have some screenshots of when we were on video before we started recording, and he was climbing all over Scott's face. And I will make sure to post those on our social media because they're adorable. So. Aww. Somebody who had some repeat customers but you have to question why would be john bodkin adams 
he was born in Northern Ireland in 1899 in the town of Randallstown. How was that segue, guys? In the town? Yeah, yeah that works. That works. It works. Why not? It works. I think I, I hit a peak sometime in like April and then I went just right downhill. Maybe now I'm like climbing up a little bit. So who knows? Somebody, um, somebody else who had letters in their name. <laughs> yeah, right. So uh, Randallstown, I was kind of underwhelmed with all their pub names, except for two. The Wild Duck Inn, because I have ducks. So, yeah. And a bar that I would be at every night, The Smoking Monkey. Hell yeah. That is awesome. Yes, that one is awesome. So John Bodkin Adams was the son of a watchmaker and preacher for the Christian brethren named Samuel. And his mother was named Ellen. And she was said to be, quote, the holiest woman in Ireland, end quote. That's, that's, a- that's the Irish way of going. She's a massive pain in the ass. She is. <laughs> yeah. He had one younger brother named William, and then his orphaned cousin Sarah also lived with the family. And Ellen's brother, his mother's, so his uncle, John Bodkin, whom he was named for, was known for his missionary work in China. Now, as, a, at eight, as opposed to Ron Jeremy, who's known for a different type of missionary work. <laughs> yes. Sometimes I mean, doggy style. There's an automatic comparison that goes on when you say John Bodkin. Immediately you think Ron Jeremy. You kind of do. Actually, I was looking at pictures of John Bodkin. He looks like the guy that plays Colin Robinson on the new What We Do in the Shadows. But if Colin Robinson gained a lot of weight. Hmm. I don't think I looked up any pictures of John Bodkin. Um, So age 15, um, John Bodkin Adams' father dies of a stroke. Uh, Adams was at boarding school at the time in Coleraine, which is about 35 miles from his home. And then in 1916, he's off to Queen's University, Belfast, to study medicine. Professors described him as, quote, a plotter, end quote. And he was thought to be pretty socially awkward. In 1918, he was still plodding through school when the Spanish flu hit and his little brother, William, did not survive. William was 15 when he died. And John ended up being a year behind in his program. He, it's not known exactly why. He probably got Spanish flu or maybe tuberculosis or possibly because, you know, he lost his brother and took a year off to, to deal with that shit. You know, that's, that's not easy. Can you imagine that we're going to have we're going to have that thing in a couple of years where it's like, yeah, I had a brother, a uh, younger brother. I lost him to COVID. Yeah, that's yeah, going to be know. a thing. That's going to be a thing. You're absolutely right. And I'm still convinced that 2020 is God punishing humanity for making the Cats movie. <laughs> you're not wrong. You're absolutely you're, you're on target. So um, in 1920. Adams was at a missionary conference when he met one of the lecturers named Arthur Rendell Short, who was a surgeon in Bristol, England. And after they chatted for a bit and Adams' name dropped his missionary uncle, the surgeon was like, well, uh, there's a job waiting for you here after you graduate. So in 1921, he graduated, quote, without honors, end quote. Nice way of saying, barely passed. Mm -hmm. 
C's get degrees, but so do D's. <laughs> what What do you call a doctor who got D's in med school? Doctor. Doctor. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And that's what they called Adams. Dr. Adams, the newly minted Dr. Adams, then went off to Bristol, where he lasted for all of six months before the same man who got him the job was like, eh, check out this one ad for another job that's not here. You should You should look into that. You should... Think about that. Consider it. So he did. And he next ended up in Eastbourne, Sussex, working with some general practitioners. This was a practice that was on the more religious side. And he sets up household there. He brings his mother and his cousin Sarah there because they're his only remaining family and they come to live with him. Now, Eastbourne, it was back in the day, it had a a much higher average age because retirees many many of them female would flock there it was you know kind of seaside and seen as kind of a you know a good destination to retire it was basically the i mean i don't want to make this comparison on a social level but just on a what people do it was the florida of england sorry eastbourne (laughs) (laughs) and we're not sorry florida fuck you fuck your entire state (laughs) <laughs> well, I feel really bad for the people down there, but yeah, but now so. I really want to look up just newspaper headlines in Eastbourne, just to see. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I can give you some pub names from there right now. I Let's found a, good, a couple of good ones: um, the Stage Door, Jesters, the Prince Albert. <laughs> again, again with the penis piercing. Why? Yeah, cameo. Right up. Beer Me Brewery. Yes. Obviously fans of The Office there. I like it. And I don't think I would eat anything I was served at the Horse and Groom Harvester. Uh, hmm. Yeah. Serving. What's on the menu? This is the man groom. pig and this is horse pig. <laughs> <laughs> so... The town likes him. He does house calls uh, first on his bike, and then he gets a little scooter. He's he's quite popular because he's willing to go at any hour, and this becomes known around town. So he starts to get in with some of the richer clients, and he has no compunction whatsoever about taking what he wants at this point in time. There's one patient of his, a William Mahood, and Adam's like, hey, that coat you're wearing, that's a, that's a real, that's a sweet coat. Where'd you get that, dude? And Mahood's like, oh, I, I, I got it down at the, the store for rich men. And so Adam's is like, oh, well, okay. Goes down, buys the same coat, and charges it to William Mahood's account. That dick. Right? And he was actually known to do that at various stores. He would just charge things either to... I, I wasn't sure whether it was just to Mahood that he was pulling this shit or if it was other people too. But yeah. And as far as the Mahoods were concerned, they they frequently hosted Adams, his mother, and his cousin at dinner, but not not willingly. They didn't invite them. The, Adams would just be like, show up at mealtime, and hey, I'm having dinner, and then maybe his, his mom and his cousin would show up too. <laughs> God, I hate people like that. Like, okay, if you're <laughs> invited to like that, <laughs> if you're invited to dinner, you're allowed to bring your significant other. Beyond that, you should call ahead. 
Yeah, but he wasn't he wasn't even invited. He would just show up and be like, I brought these other people. Like there was actually an episode of I, I think The Office like that, or yeah, where like they just showed up with extra people. Like, this is fine. Don't worry oh, about was it. it. The dinner party episode? Yes. Oh my god, that one is epic. Babe. 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 <laughs> that one is incredible. Yes. <laughs> Um, yeah, so he would also insist on that his patients get needless treatments and operations, just things that really weren't actually necessary for their health, but they were expensive, so he prescribed them. Now, I mean, all that... Well, that that's how plastic surgery, plastic surgeons get all their money. Like, people don't need that, but, I mean, if you can appeal to the vanity, it's really expensive. Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah, absolutely. He also, um, at some point, all this rich patient money came in handy, so he got himself a couple of nice cars and a chauffeur. So he's really climbing through this world, not in an entirely morally or ethically sound way, you might say. Do any of the people we talk about do that? Like, be moral and ethically sound? Quite true. This is not... The, uh, the morally and ethically sound people podcast. I disagree. A lot of people on this podcast are morally and ethically sound. They're called victims. Yeah. <laughs> and then they die. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he borrowed money from Mahood to buy an 18-room house. Scott, you have a Victorian mansion. How many rooms you got? 19. You them? Oh, you're one ahead of Adams. Good yeah. for you. Fuck him. <laughs> <laughs> One patient who had uh, really bad eyesight, he tried to get her power of attorney. Uh, that it, it was just, it's really slimy. He's an absolute slime ball. And the way that he would work is he would basically use his patient's wills. He would say, well, if I send you a bill, it's going to be taxed like a lot. And you don't want all that money going to those like normal people and the poor people. Do you know? I mean, that's not how you get rich. So, um, but bequests in your will are free and clear of taxes. So just leave me something in your will. Don't ever leave your doctor anything in your will. The man who goes here, eat this. It'll make you feel better. Don't leave him stuff in your will. Yeah, you really don't want them to have a, a high financial stake in whether you die. <laughs> Here's what I've learned. Trust no one. And especially yeah. if, if they can make more money off of you dying than you living, then that's also bad. Mm-hmm. Like, part of me is amazed that he wasn't a lawyer. I feel like he would have been a, a very good, smarmy lawyer. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And then he could have so, done the wills by himself. <laughs> Exactly. And as soon as the person walks out of the office, he just changes all the names for the bequest to himself. And boom, he's got all the money and the person's dead. And maybe there was a witness, but you just, you know, give them a little hush money and yeah, you're good. He had one other method where if the patient didn't have any family and was like, well, I'll just leave all my money to charity. Then Adams would be like, well, you know, there's so many illegitimate charities out there. I'll just hop on Charity Navigator and I'll find the good ones. So just leave it all to me and I'll take care of it. And then probably kept it, I would think so. And eventually all of his peers in the medical world were like, if you make a will with Dr. Adams in it, you are not long for this world. My poor sweet child. 
You're, yeah, well, you're fucking dead. My poor sweet elderly widow is basically it. <laughs> <laughs> he would also, in a super sociopathic thing, uh, tend to try to isolate his patients from their families. So not cool at all, especially these people who are vulnerable. Yeah, separate them from their support group. That is rule number one in the manipulative asshole handbook. Exactly. So, um, Matilda Witten was in her 70s and she was a widow when she moved to Eastbourne. And Adams became her doctor. She even seemed to become a family friend. He would just, like, let her have the use of his car and his chauffeur. And she got to be kind of friends with his cousin and his mother. So it seemed to be both, a, you know, kind of blurring the lines there between patient and, and friend of the family. But that's going to happen sometimes. You know, you can't, you can't be barred from being friends with your doctor. I'm friends with my therapist on Facebook. <sighs> so... <laughs> I mean, that's only a recent development and only after uh, 14 years of being in and out of therapy. I take breaks. <laughs> that hasn't been one solid run. I take breaks of years sometimes. And then I'm like, it's time to go back for a little, little tune-up of the old brain there. And Matilda Witten uh, then actually bought him a nice new car. She was living in a hotel and the staff got kind of worried about her, especially when he was around, because as soon as he would visit, she would then be really listless and just it seemed like she changed significantly be from before and after his visit. So they were like, what is he doing? She died in 1935, after changing her will to give him almost 65% of her fortune, she had some stepchildren. They contested this, but he won. So he got a large, large chunk of her fortune. And then after this, for years, he would get postcards warning him not to, quote, bump off any more elderly widows. And this would happen about three or four times a year until World War II broke out. And then it stopped for a while. And then the war ended and it started again. So postcards are bad this. because other people, other people can read that shit. That's not an envelope. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a very insecure way of sending a message, especially a you know, semi-threatening one. Mm -hmm. So, But maybe they wanted it that way. Maybe they wanted the postman to be like, oh, man, look, look at the shit they wrote on this card. <laughs> yeah. I'm but you know what? People. The Matilda thing almost makes sense because they were very friendly. She had bought him a car. Like, she was, they were taking care of each other. They obviously were friends. So it's not as bad as just patient doctor because I think then more flags would have even been up. Yeah, you're right. I think he sort of eased into it with this, with, with Matilda. Then in 1939, he is treating one Agnes Pike. She is also elderly. And her family starts getting a little concerned at how he's, you know, prescribing treatments to her. So they get a second opinion. And this new doctor comes in and say, says she's being prescribed huge amounts of morphine and barbiturates for no reason. Welcome to Johnstown. <laughs> <laughs> 
So Dr. Adams is off the case, and Agnes, she gets better in just a few months because she's not completely doped up. Actually, she, she, might, she might have had to go through withdrawal first. Well, they, yeah, that might be why it took a few months. They asked Adams, why the fuck are you giving all this like hypnotic drugs to Agnes? And he goes, I was afraid she might become violent. <laughs> this elderly woman definitely has potential to just, you know, slash the throat of everyone in town. Yeah, had- no. Yeah, right? He had a short engagement to a woman named Nora O'Hara in 1933. That didn't last, and there's multiple possible reasons given for this. So, either his mother thinks that Nora is beneath him, or it's because he wouldn't let up in his, like, haranguing her to get her dad to change his will in her favor so that, you know, Dr. Adam marries her, then that money is his too. And he would probably make sure that Nora's father got bumped off. And there was one more rumor that she found out he was gay and dumped him, noting that homosexuality was still illegal at this point and it actually wouldn't become legal in the UK until 1967. At the 1967 AD. Yeah. Yep. That's that's insane, and it's kind of weird to think that even like 15 years ago, things were still a little. Uh, that dude's gay, you know. It's- yeah, but um, about that though, the, there was a uh, a memorandum by a Daily Mail journalist concerning rumors of homosexuality between quote a police officer, a magistrate, and a doctor, and the doctor that they were describing was Adams. So. I, and I think it was partly just to say, like, hey, he's got friends in higher places. And that's one of the reasons why. Mm, fascinating. It's funny they'd put that in a memo, especially if a police officer is one of the three. Yeah, well, it was sent to the police. The poli- Well, the police acquired it is how it was put. <laughs> so I don't know if it was sent to the police. But the police acquired this memo from from a Daily Mail journalist. Okay, I see. I see. Hmm. Did did anybody see this about uh the hotel where uh where one of his victims that ended up not being a victim thankfully Pike was staying at. Uh Adams uh told the owner of the hotel where Pike was staying that he would ask a Dr. Shara to do a lumbar puncture to relieve pressure on Mrs. Pike's brain. So the police tracked down Dr. Sherher and he said, this is going to sound weird, but I do have a spinal fluid sample from Mrs. Pike. I don't know where it came from. <laughs> oh, that's weird. Yeah, right? I, I, hell? I don't recall taking this myself. I don't know where it came from. It's just, you know, it's, that's the way things are. I was shaving one day and all of a sudden, fucking Agnes Pike's spinal fluid in a vial. Right on the bathroom <laughs> sink, as had what does happen occasionally. Okay, so I'm not going to lie to you. When you said lumbar puncture, I heard lumbar fucker. <laughs> and it, it took me a solid 30 seconds to realize that is not what you said. Well, lumbar did fucker. <laughs> We've gone from the office to office space. 
So, Office uh, space is outstanding. Mm-hmm. It is. Work, Workplace-themed comedies, both uh, TV and film, are a, a sub-theme running uh, like a nice undercurrent of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to old-timey workplace comedies. <laughs> World War II comes around, and the local doctors are like, okay, some of us are going to get called up. So when we do, we need the rest of you to, you know, take all of our patients while we're gone. And then the original doctor or his family would get half of the fees from the, those patients. So they're still at least having an income come in. But they keep Adams the hell out of it, which I think says a lot. And they described him as his own peers. He de- they described him as unctuous and oily which unctuous is kind of like smarmy like uh i've met okay i've met some car salesmen that were actually like really on the up and up and good but i met one car salesman like back way back in the day when we were living in virginia that i was like that man is the definition of smarm like i was so uncomfortable (laughs) i've had i've had one or two car salesmen like that I was uh, I was looking for a new car once, and I actually laughed at one of the car salesmen and walked the fuck away. Because hmm. this car, it had one hundred and eighty thousand miles on it. He goes, but it's in good quality. They must have they must have towed it across the country. That's the only thing I could figure out. I went, ah! and just walked away. <laughs> that is funny. We had one car salesman manage to keep the smarm under wraps until just after we'd finished signing the papers when he then told us a story about how he'd sold a car to a woman. And then like a week later, he was driving to work and he saw it broken down on the side of the road. And she was like there with the car and he just laughed. And I was like, fuck, really wish we hadn't given you that money. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, fuck you. So that was upsetting. What's even more upsetting is that Adams, during World War II, volunteered at the hospital and became an anesthesiologist. Terrifying. Terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. He's not a good anesthesiologist, as you might imagine. He gets distracted. He makes mistakes. He would just, you know, take a little little nap, a little cat nap. He would eat cakes Mm. during surgeries, count his money, mix up tubes patients would maybe during surgery turn blue or even better wake up oh jesus christ why were you sleeping bodkin uh, he was sleeping why does he get to sleep and i he's got his chest open and you only uh, woke because he's screaming i have uh trigger warning for medical horror coming up here uh, or maybe it's just medical horror to me but i have i i say woke up but some bitchy nurse tried to correct me one time and she was like no you didn't wake up because you weren't asleep and i was like well i wasn't aware and then i became aware and i was during a surgery so i wasn't very thrilled Like, don't correct me. I don't care what the term is. Nice. I don't care if I'm using it right. I was aware, and it was uh, twice, actually, that this happened. Twice. Twice. Same surgery? Twice during the same surgery? or No, two separate procedures. And they weren't specifically surgeries. They were procedures, to, to make that more clear. But one was an uh, endoscopy. So woke up and uh, ripped the tube out of my throat, and they had to pin me down. 
And um, uh, the second was... Um, <sighs> you don't have to say it. Colonoscopy. You get the best postcards for those, though. I do, but I also get the worst comments when the doctors ask me to stop screaming. <laughs> I'm like, well, put me the fuck back to sleep and I will! Gladly! <laughs> but you're not Gladly. sleeping. <laughs> but I'm not sleeping, I'm using the wrong terminology because I don't give a fuck. My buddy Don got really pissed off at uh, a bunch of the rest of us because we took the video of his colonoscopy and added TIE Fighters and X-Wings to it. <laughs> oh, and Amber mentioned the postcard, so I should specify the local hospital after uh, I had a, probably it was that same procedure there, um, they, they sent the, the, the colonoscopy, they sent a postcard that said, uh, thanks for letting us scope you out, and it even had a little cartoon. It did, it was amazing. <laughs> I don't know where that went, but I would like to find it again someday. <laughs> it's probably in a box somewhere. All right, so back to Adam's apps now that we've relived my, <laughs> no, my wait, hospital wait, horror. No, wait, wait, wait. I need to know more. Hold on here. What was the cartoon of? Was it like of like like somebody with their pants down and a garden hose shoved up there? What the fuck was this cartoon yeah, of? They they were like nurses, and one of them definitely had a finger out, if I remember right, because it looked really awkward. <laughs> and then a patient like on a table, and or may, maybe a patient on a table. I can't remember that specifically, but there was definitely a monitor that they were watching. Yeah. 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 Uh-huh. Thanks for traumatizing me and then sending me a postcard about it. So remember that horrible experience? No, just in case you didn't. Here you go. I did put that on my fridge because it was absurd. So anyhow. Okay. In 1943, Adam's mother passes away. And now, so now his only family is cousin Sarah. And... All those wealthy patients dying left and right and leaving him money leave him quite wealthy. There's no real source on this or comparison, but some do say that he was the wealthiest doctor or general practitioner, at least, in England. His patient list was um, quite something. Uh, it included the Duke of Devonshire. That's fun Ooh. to say. Fancy. Fancy, fancy. Now, in 1949, at this point, he's been the Mahood couples. We mentioned the Mahoods earlier of the, you know, coat that he admired so much he made them pay for one for him. Um, he'd been their doctor for at least two decades. Mr. Mahood dies. And so afterwards, afterwards Adam drops in to visit uh, Mrs. Mahood. And he just uh, sees a 24 carat gold pen hanging about and he's like you know i really want something uh, to remember him by i want something of of mr mahood so i'm gonna take this and then i'm gonna leave and then i'm gonna never come back is basically what happened i uh i just want something to remember him by i'll just take his bank account <laughs> <laughs> i'll remember him fondly when i'm spending his money mm -hmm. in 1950 Edith Morrell, another one of his older patients, she had been partially paralyzed by a stroke a few years prior, and she lived at home. She had private nurses caring for her day to day. Now, she was called a rude and cantankerous woman 
which um, I aspire to be an elderly cantankerous woman because I think that that's at the point, maybe not necessarily rude, but just cantankerous. But you have an excuse when you're elderly. You're, you're allowed, especially if you had a stroke. You're allowed. Absolutely. Absolutely. I can't wait to be a bastard. Yeah. Yeah. And have a, and have a ready excuse for it. Yeah. Now, Adams would actually have the nurses leave the room whenever he came by and, and would, would visit and do an exam or, you know, prescribe treatments or give treatments, whatever he was doing with Edith Morell. She uh, loved, loved, loved one thing in this world, and that was rewriting her will. It's like sure. a hobby. <laughs> yes. It's so funny that this is like... <gasps> You need a hobby. I'll tell you what is going to be my hobby. It's going to be rewriting you out of my will. And then putting you back in and rewriting you back out. And I, oh, I'm just going to leave everything. It probably probably kept her alive longer because she kept writing him back out of it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. He was in and out and in and out repeatedly of that will. It was actually kind of confusing because it was like, what? Was he in it when she died? I don't know. So after her stroke, she suffered from insomnia, discomfort, and cerebral irritation. I just have incredibly loud thunder going on here. If I can hear it with my headphones in my little booth. (laughs) I just saw it. Like, I'm in front of the window. There it is. I just saw that happen. (laughs) Wow. It's great because we're hearing it. We're hearing it, like, all in a row. Because Christy heard it first, so it's obviously closer to here, and then I got it, and then Amber went, yeah, I just heard it. (laughs) You are experiencing live thunder reporting. Now you can figure out how far away we live by just, you know, measuring the speed of sound. I was just checking my phone to make sure that there wasn't yet another um, tornado warning during a a podcast. (laughs) Amber and I will be right over to hide in the basement. Yeah. I'm already in the basement. I'm cool. No, yeah. the rule is we have to hide in Christie's basement. <laughs> so you have to drive through the storm and potentially tornado to get to my house and hide in the basement. It makes perfect sense. I don't make the rules. This is Trump's America. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now, after her stroke um, and all these symptoms that she had, Adams, she I, I don't believe she was his patient while... Uh, when she had the stroke, but soon afterwards she came under his care. And so he had her on a treatment course of the following. I hope my sibling who's in the medical field is listening to this. She's going to be horrified. Oh, absolutely horrified. Morphine, heroin, peraldehyde, which is a sedative, and omnipon, which I had to look up. And it's basically morphine plus an opium alkaloid antispasmodic plus... Cody. Get a little rum in there, and we call that the Hunter S. Thompson special. <laughs> oh, Lord, yeah. he He's just injecting her with all this stuff all the time. Don't be worried if she levitates. It's just a side effect. Yeah. So she she passes away as was pretty much inevitable with all, all that shit running through her system. And he certified on the certificate that her death was caused by a stroke and just for good measure, slit her wrist just to make, just to make sure you, you got to be sure guys. You don't want to be burying people alive. I did you a favor. <laughs> and if you were alive, well, eh, I did you a favor. Jesus. And when I read that, I was like, Oh my God, he, he's, I've, I've had some bad doctors, but he's the worst doctor ever. 
<laughs> they pale in comparison. <laughs> all right, so he would, and this was something he would do all the time. He would sign the death certificate saying he had no financial interest in her death. Um, and it was confusing as to whether or not he really was named a beneficiary in this case, but doing so, uh, signing it in that manner made sure that there was no autopsy. And it was confusing with the wills. It looks like he may, at first she put him in there and was like, I'm going to give you my silver, you know, like my, my silverware, which back then was actually like worth something and not. Whoa! Sorry, that scared me. I I heard it at your house, and now I'm hearing it here. Jesus, I think that was, like, right outside my window. That is weird. <laughs> this is this is trippy. Apparently God fucking uh, hates my neighbors. Now I have it. Now I have it. Okay. <laughs> I live further away. God's like, fuck your neighbors in particular, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, wow. Okay. That was neat. Uh, again. I pooped a little sure. bit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we now have a flash flood warning. Shocking. In yeah. Johnstown? The flood I city? Know, right? Whoa. <laughs> Did you see how bad it flooded earlier this week? It was amazing. There was like two feet of water on the streets. Jesus Christ. Why the fuck are we living here? And that oh, was well. only where they put in the new the new drainage system, though. The old uh, drainage system actually works. <laughs> right. The new drainage system was supposed to stop this. This is what happens whenever you pay people with heroin. <laughs> I'm pretty sure the new drainage system is meant to be population control, honestly. After seeing how well it works in the rain, I, they're trying to kill us all. Like, that's all there is. <laughs> all right. Mm. Speaking of people probably killing people... Um, so yeah, he uh, Adams may have at first been the intended recipient of her silver. Then he was cut out, and after that, uh, that was the last will before she died. And then her son was like, "You can have the silver." And hey, here's this Rolls Royce. You want that? I can give you that. Just take. I mean, it was kind of old, but still. This is like some Royce. weird remake of the producers. I can make more money being a bad doctor than I can being a good doctor. Yeah, you're right. That's true of any profession. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he actually billed the estate for 1,100 visits for a total of 1,674 pounds, which is $73,000 uh, today in U.S. dollars. But uh, police later said it was probably only about 321 visits. And, yeah, she was his patient for 869 days before her death. So if he did go to her 1,100 times, he was there twice a day sometimes. And probably injecting her with all kinds of shit, both, like, twice a day. Not even once a day, twice a day. Fuck. Oh, yeah, I just looked at the radar, and it is just all over the place. This is an insane storm. (laughs) Anyhow, sorry. Um, welcome to the Weather Podcast with Christy, Scott, and Amber. God hates us. <laughs> That's our tagline. This is the first of ten <laughs> plagues. Up next Saturday, a high of 147 and frogs. <laughs> Somebody called Charles Fort. <laughs> now, a few weeks after her death, 
the Duke of Devonshire died of um, supposed to be a heart attack. And Dr. Adams signs the death certificate and calls it natural causes. But this was an unexpected death. There should have been an inquest. He was probably trying to keep it all hush-hush because the, you know, Morell death had happened so recently that he doesn't want that spotlight shining down, you know? Mm-hmm. In 1952, his cousin Sarah dies of cancer, so now he's the only one of his family uh, remaining. But he does have some friends, including uh, a prominent local man named Roland Gwynn. Now, that's probably the magistrate that you were talking about that was in the memo, because he was once the mayor of Eastbourne. Yeah, sounds about right. And he was also a gay man who was being blackmailed by his butler in the most... English thing I think I've ever said. Wow. That that sounds like it came right out of an Agatha Christie novel. It does. It does. Yeah. I say I think you'll be waiting on me from now on. <laughs> <laughs> Jeeves is in it. charge. The hilarious thing is that means the butler actually did it. <laughs> yeah, the butler did it. Oh, we need to have more cases where the butler did something. Um, Dude, we should we should do some research and just have like five cases for for like a, a single episode where the butler was actually the guy who did it. Absolutely. I know we're doing for the, the next episode. Let's do that. <laughs> Absolutely, I love it. Uh, so, Doctor Adams and Roland Quinn would go to Ireland and. Scotland for what was called shooting holidays. And I think that's funny because it's it's just isn't it just fucking hunting and probably fucking. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um so, uh, if you're going out into the woods and you're shooting at things, you're probably shooting at things to kill them. So stop calling it shooting. You're not at a range, you know, you're not in your backyard with a target. You're hunting. So let's not use the euphemisms. You're hunting. Um, and this really, these trips, of course, and this friendship only provided more steam for that gossip train to choo-choo along. And Roland would refer some of his, you know, people that he knew in, in, in high society and such to Adams, which helped raise his profile even further. Then, in 1956, the Bobby Hullett incident comes along. Now, Bobby, her real name was Gertrude. I loved the picture of her as a flapper. That was delightful. She just, she looked so serious, but her, her flapper getup was on point. It was perfect. Did you guys see that? I have a thing for flappers. I did. <laughs> oh, it was so cute. So she lost her husband in 1950, and Adams prescribed her, he's like, here, okay, here's the two things you need. A, you need some barbiturates, because obviously. And B, you need to go take a vacation in Switzerland. Now, she actually was not elderly. She was only 44 when she becomes his patient uh, at, at her husband's death or around that time. She does, through Dr. Adams, meet a widower named Jack Hollett. And in 1952, they get married, which is very sweet and then ends up very sad when uh, it was just three years later... Jack, he was diagnosed with bowel cancer, and there was a surgery to take care of the tumor, not performed by Adams, but he was still sick, and he ended up having two heart attacks before he died. 
which is that's a rough that's a rough end like cancer and then heart attack like it's just that's a, that's a lot it's <laughs> a lot now adams was there when he had the second heart attack but it's said that he didn't really help at all with it and he signed the death certificate uh with a cause of death as cerebral hemorrhage and as usual, he stated on all the forms that he expected no financial benefit from Jack's death, even though Jack had left Adams 500 pounds, 16,000 U.S. dollars today. Not, not a penny. Don't not worry. Not a penny. Not a penny. Everything's fine. I'll just take all this fucking money right over here. I did read one comment that was like, well, yeah, all the doctors would say I don't expect any because how would you know? And I'm like, because he's putting himself in people's wills is what I think. But mm-hmm. uh, So Bobby has now lost two husbands in six years. And again, Dr. Adams whips out the barbiturates for her. And her maid and some of her friends, they're really worried here. And they think that he's also injecting her with morphine. But no one will go to the cops, even though... At least the maid wants to. She's like, you guys, I really think we should talk to the police. And everybody's like, no, no, it's okay. It's okay. It's uh, appearances and propriety and famous doctor, you know? You're uh, the maid. Know your place. (sighs) That too, yeah. So Bobby does three things. Well, I think she's been kind of talking about suicide on and off for a while. But she starts mentioning suicide. She leaves him her Roy's. Rolls Royce in her will, and she gives him a $1,000 gift in the form of a check, which is $32,000 in today's money. Can you imagine just writing somebody like your doctor a $32,000 check? Like the fuck? I, over the past couple of weeks, I have been exposed to massive amounts of cash. Yeah, I guess it's different when when it's, you know, $32,000 is a drop in the bucket. So, yeah, yeah. He did cash that. The same day she gave him the check and the bank clerk was like, I don't know, this signature looks kind of shaky and weak. And Adams is like, well, you know, she's really sick. And sure enough, boom, a few days later, she's in a coma. He does get the treatment for barbiturate poisoning, but he doesn't give it to her till the next day. And even then, he only gives her one tenth of what he had on hand which is one-tenth to one-twentieth of what is what recommended. So it's like you're supposed to give them like 100 milliliters or grams or whatever to 200, and he got 100, and he was like, I'll give you 10 the next day. Damn it. Yeah. We, we, we're going to war. We have to ration. Yeah, except it was in the 50s. So. <laughs> uh, he actually summons the coroner before she dies. For a postmortem, he's like, "Yeah, this is gonna happen like soonish because I'm I'm not even doing a half-ass job. I'm doing a one-tenth-ass job. So, get your whole ass over here, please." I have to be golfing. Could you just make it up as he go? <laughs> yeah. So she ends up with pneumonia, and soon after she dies, two days before her death, a urine sample was taken, and after her death, it was shown. Her urine was shown to contain 115 grains of sodium barbitone, which is two times the fatal dose. I guess I guess we're rationing some stuff, but other stuff we can 
we can double up on. Yeah, apparently. And so there's an inquest for this one, finally. It comes up with a cause of suicide, but also kind of gives Adams a little bit of a scolding as to his treatment. And, you know, like, how did you not diagnose her with barbiturate poisoning and everything? And how did you barely treat her? So he gets her Rolls Royce Silver Dawn. Such a fanciful name for a car. Um, I guess we're American, so. (laughs) (laughs) My my girlfriend, I don't know if it's something she found or some guy was hitting on her. Because I am stunned at the amount of guys that hit on my girlfriend. But somebody, she showed me a text where it's like some guy went, I have a Roy's Roy's, R-O-Y-S, 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 Roy's Roy's. And it <laughs> took me a second to realize, oh, he's saying Rolls Royce. And I just told Ariana, I have a Rolls Royce too. It just happens to turn into a robot. And <laughs> that robot's wearing a little top hat and his name is Tux. <laughs> After the inquest, reporters start digging because it starts getting out and around town. They find the will dispute from 1935, and then all the bequests from over the years start adding up. It was it would eventually end up being uh, hundreds of wills. We'll get there in a second. Um, Scotland Yard comes in, and they have a pathologist who determines that Bobby died via an overdose of barbiturates. And Adams really should have known that since he was the one prescribing them. It's almost like he did it on purpose. Almost. Imagine. At the inquest, uh, the judge to the jury is like, okay, so we've got negligence here, but it's not criminal negligence. So you have to pick between accidental OD or suicide. Pick one. And the jury goes with the suicide, as I said. Scotland Yard is still looking into him. They do get kind of cock-blocked by the British Medical Association, which basically tells all the local doctors to remember that, quote, doctor-patient confidentiality extends to the patients of other doctors, end quote. I don't, I'm not British, but I don't think it does. I think that's ridiculous. I, I would happen to agree. Me too. But yeah, it's basically tell them, don't be a whistleblower, keep your mouth shut. Um, so despite all this, Scotland Yard manages to get a nice list of cases from 1935 onward of rich widows who wrote Adams into their will and then died. All told, he was in 132 wills. Right? Right. Right. Fuck. Right. And this is... Listen, I could see like a doctor becoming with like like becoming really close friends with one or two people. This was 132 out of 310. So one out of every 3. Yeah. And of those uh patients 163 died in comas between 1946 and 1956. Making it probably one of the most successful serial killers. Maybe. Yeah. And then I mentioned cerebral hemorrhage being listed as a cause of death in one case. Well, it was his, this was his go-to cause of death almost. In a whopping 42% of his deceased patients, he wrote on the death certificate that it was a cerebral hemorrhage. Now, at the time... The national average for cerebral hemorrhage as a cause of death for elderly patients 
was 15%. Mm. Yikes. You got to mix it up. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Throw people off. I'm a cause of death. Eaten by wolves. Uh, fucking, I don't know, dildo misadventure. Yeah. <laughs> Which, yeah. by the way, was my gay porn name. <laughs> it's a fantastic gay porn name. Thank you. They only need to charge him with one murder, so they go with Edith Morell's case. She hadn't really been in pain, yet he gave her morphine, and he, of course, did his thing on the cremation form where he's like, no, I'm not getting any money from her. But this wasn't in total agreement among the people discussing this and then making the final decision. Morell had been cremated, so can't exhume a cremation. And you can use it as our charcoal, though, to barbecue a wonderful steak. Yeah, but not helpful in a criminal case. Nope. Unless you're really hungry and need some need that little boost of energy to get through. Yeah. Oh, God. And uh, he hadn't gotten as much money from Morel as from several, you know, many of the other widows. But they're like, well, we have Bobby Hullett's case all lined up and charged. So that'll be a backup. Scotland Yard comes to his office. They do an interview. They asked him, do you have any drugs here? And he's like trying, he's like grabbing like vials and sticking them in his pocket, like vials of morphine. He's like, no, there's no drugs here. I don't know what you're talking about. Drugs? I don't have any drugs. <laughs> this? No, no, this is a, uh, these are um, um, spinal fluid. <laughs> yeah. You know, it just sometimes appears mm-hmm. in places. Yeah, we get a lot of that around here, believe it or not. <laughs> You're free to go. So, yeah, that's happened. Um, and he lied about how much morphine and, and, and barbiturates he had on hand. It was a gigantic amount. And he's like, it's just a little bit. And then they're like, well, did you kill Edith Morell? And he just says, a little well, bit. <laughs> just, just a little. It's just a little bit. It's just a few hundred vials. A small murder. Like, just it's a, just a few hundred vials. Vials. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So they they ask him if he killed Edith Morell, and his response is the following: "Quote: Easing the passing of a dying person isn't all that wicked. She wanted to die. That can't be murder. It is impossible to accuse a doctor." End quote. That is interesting. That can't be murder. That is such an interesting phrase, and I'll tell you why. There was recently, and you can look this up on YouTube, there was recently a post on 4chan where the guy claimed that he worked for Epstein. And he's, like, going through all this stuff. The first thing he says, and it's very creepy, is that he's, he's letting it out here on 4chan, but he's also going to take what he has and give it to the police and the FBI, and he's going to give it to all the news, uh, news agencies so that people on 4chan can compare what he tells them to what the news agency tells them so people can decide whether or not they can, they can believe the, the news agencies. And everybody's kind of going, like, oh, this is, this is bullshit. This is a story. And at one point, like, Epstein comes to him after this guy knows what Epstein's doing with kids and, and what have you. And Epstein's kind of depressed, and he goes to this guy, and he says, uh, if it feels good, it can't be bad, right? Like, that was the attitude, right? Like, oh, it doesn't matter that I'm ruining these people's lives. It feels good to me, so it can't be bad. How can something that feels good be bad? 
The interesting thing about this, eight hours after this was posted, Ghislaine Maxwell was arrested. Oh, my. So a lot of people are actually looking at this. And like I said, you can find it on YouTube. It's called Working for Epstein. A lot of people are thinking, no, everything that this guy said is true. And he said he was releasing this. He didn't. No, it's, it's pretty damn coincidental if it's, if it's just a made-up story. And then Maxwell goes to prison. But, you know, like Trump, I wish her well. What the fuck, Trump? <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, back to Adams. Scotland Yard arrests him on December 19th, 1956. He is remanded to jail. Still has patients sending him gifts and little, like, well wishes and messages and such. Like, it's kind of like people either don't believe it or don't want to believe it. Um, he's known to be quite the model prisoner. He just prays and sings hymns and is just really, really boring. Um Sorry, but that, that's boring to me. <laughs> I want people to raise hell. Now, the attorney general is actually the prosecutor for this case. This is a man named Sir Reginald Manningham Buller, who behind his back, or maybe even to his face, is known as Sir Bullying Manor. Fuck. That's a great name. <laughs> yeah, I liked that. <laughs> there is some stuff that's a little wonky with this case. The British Medical Association gets a copy of the detective inspector's report, which is basically the, the entire case for the prosecution. And, you know, the, of course, the British Medical Association probably gave it to Adams's defense lawyers, I would think. They seem to be a little invested in making sure that one of their own comes out of this, you know, unsmirched, unbesmirched. Mm hmm. And the police had copious notes that actually had come from Dr. Adams. Now, these were in notebooks that the, the nurses in Edith Morell's case kept regarding her care. Somehow, Dr. Adams kept those. The police had them, um, but the prosecution didn't know about the notes. And while these notes would have proved that Morel was getting too much morphine, instead of the prosecution being able to use that to prove it, the defense had them and used the notes to contradict nurses who were testifying and therefore introduced doubt. So they, you know, it was, and it was in all kinds of cases. It wasn't just in whether or not the patient had received morphine or whatever that day. It was even non-medication aspects of uh, Edith Morel's care via Dr. Adams. So... An example here would be a nurse said that Morel was in a coma the day she died. And the defense lawyer said, quote, we have your records for that day. You wrote that the semi-conscious woman for lunch had partridge, celery, pudding, and a small brandy and soda. Would that be a normal diet for a comatose patient? <laughs> Depends on how hard you can shove a partridge down somebody's throat. <laughs> yeah. As far as motive is concerned, the defense brought up the same thing that all the naysayers were bringing up when they said, don't use the morale case, that he didn't profit that much. He wasn't even technically in the last will, so he, he didn't really have anything to expect. His total take, aside from the rolls, which, as I said, was kind of old, but still probably worth something, was 270 pounds, which is about $9,000 today. So uh, I think he's killed for more. <sighs> it's... I, it's such 
a fuck you to everything from the medical society. It's fuck, man. It, yeah. it makes me upset because this is this is somebody that people put their trust in and just fucking toss it away. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. That's exactly what happened. I can't imagine being the families of other patients whom he had treated until their deaths and then gotten bequests from. I can't imagine what they must be feeling through this whole thing, just wondering, you know, was was that what happened? Did, you know, did my mother die before she should have or aunt or grandmother or whatever? So, yeah, um, the defense used that same tactic um, with contradicting authorities and, and testimony via records multiple times. This was a go to method for them. So there was a, an expert testifying that um, and he was a renowned, renowned doctor. And they had him and he, he testified. He's like, you know, this, you would only prescribe morphine to a stroke patient if you wanted to murder them. And then the defense pulls out the records from two other doctors who gave, none of which was Adams, who gave Morel morphine in the immediate aftermath of her stroke. And so that's that's it's it, the, the case is getting holes poked in it left and right. We have that that thing with some of the British trials that we end up covering, where basically the judge sums things up and tells the jury where he stands, and then they end up following it. Um, his def- summation is basically the the defense wins, and so the jury they take forty five minutes to deliberate, and then they acquit Doctor Adams. No. Right? Yeah. I know. Right? Jesus. But there's still the Bobby Hollett charge, except how there's not. The attorney general drops it, and Adams is off the hook and not in a good 2011 party way. I cannot. Or whenever off the hook was popular. <laughs> whenever I was studying this case, I got to the point and they said, acquit? Uh, what? You've got to be fucking kidding me. Mm-hmm. You've got to be know, t- fucking that. kidding me. 132 victims. Obviously he did it, and they just go, nope. And you just have to go, fucking why? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, balls were dropped left and right with the prosecution not knowing what they needed to know. And I think I'll, there are some theories we'll get around to in a minute. Um but not deeply or anything, but I do think some people had a vested interest in making sure that he got uh, got acquitted. I really do think. And a, an acquittal is such a rare thing on this show. I mean, I you had the guy and you let him go. The guy right? was stuffing the murder weapons in his pants whenever he was caught. I am actually searching my notes file for acquit. Well, Tumbledy, I guess, kind of got acquitted a couple times. Um, yeah, not, it doesn't come up very often at all. And when it does come up, I know that it's people who eventually ended up in jail or, uh, you know, put to death. So, 
yeah, this is the. I think this might actually be our first acquittal. Where that's that's the deal. It's it's not an unsolved case necessarily, but it's not solved, and it's just the the guy got off the hook. So, absolutely fucking lutely incredible. Seventy some episodes. So, um, this trial is so expensive that medical malpractice insurance costs in England tripled. That's impressive. Yeah, right? And especially impressive that they managed to spend so much money doing such a bad job of it. (laughs) So after he's acquitted, he goes straight to the offices of the Daily Express. There was one reporter out of all the reporters... This reporter worked at the Daily Express and had published articles that said this, these charges, this trial, they are all unjustified. So Adam sells his story for 10,000 pounds. his boyfriend. Which is re- to, potentially, I would say. Um, which is $326,000 in today's U.S. money. And actually, shockingly, that money was found in his safe deposit box when he died. He never, never spent a dime of it. Nope. Gave it back to his boyfriend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Where were they? Uh, he was fined. He, he did see some punishment. A 24-pound fine. $78,300 for some lesser charges like forging prescriptions, lying on cremation forms, other drug and rela- cremation-related charges for about 13 total offenses. And the local medicine, medical society was also like, yeah, so we're going to need you to resign. I mean, we're not... We're not but could you leave? Could you do that? And even the same thing from the Eastbourne YMCA and the gun club where he was director of, of both. He was, you know, taken off. So, um, and he was stricken from the general medical council's m- member roles. Now, as far as the, the drug offenses, the forging prescriptions and you know, like the, the drug charges, um, his drug cabinet had narcotics as well as household goods like margarine and chocolate. Seems strange to put them all together, but whatever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Very odd. You're going to be making some weird ass cookies there. I bet there was spinal fluid in there too. <laughs> I bet. Yeah. And in the cookies. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, there are multiple theories floating around that somebody in the government had the motive to get the charges dropped and to get him acquitted. They don't necessarily hold much water, but at the same time, it's like, how did the defense manage to bungle this so badly? And, you know, so the press was still sniffing around, but uh, that stopped after he sued a few of them and won. And even his uh, not being a doctor anymore stopped when he got reinstated in 1961. So only about five years not being a doctor. He kept practicing until 1983. He was out shooting, broke his leg, died from complications three days later. And he was cremated and buried in Coleraine with his parents. Does anyone else find that horribly ironic? He broke his leg and then died and was cremated. I find it ironic. Yeah, yeah, I find it. I I see the irony there. If I was an utter bastard, though, I'd get cremated, too, just to make sure nobody dug up my body and did stuff to it. Hmm. But I'm going to say... 
I'm going to say it right now. After I die, if anybody would like to dig up my body and do stuff to it, hey, go for it. Have some fun. <laughs> Cremation seemed to be quite popular back then um, in England. I didn't realize it was so, um, so popular anywhere um, at that point in time. So uh, his estate uh, when he died was valued at over 400,000 pounds. That is 1.9 million in today's U.S. dollars. Um, a thousand pounds of that went to the Daily Express reporter, who was his, his friend and who he told his story to. And boyfriend. he also, boyfriend, yeah. And he also <laughs> left some to uh, ex fiance Nora O'Hara. He left a small, small amount to her, kind of like a token. Sorry, I, mean, I like the cock. Here's some money. <laughs> on the nightstand. Yeah, buck on the nightstand. I just want to say, if you like the cock, I'm fine with that. I just, I just feel like abusing this guy. Yeah, it's the guy, and definitely not the the sexual orientation, whether it was gay or straight, that that, that bothers us. It's the guy and and what he likely did. Which the newspapers, now that he was dead, they were able to have an absolute field day with this. Um, and it, it still kind of goes on, but they were able to discover a total of 350 wills he had been mentioned in when he, by the time he died. 350 wills. 87 of them were, I think he's trying to kill me. Don't give him any of my money. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And aside from money, he was also left jewels and property and silver and two Rolls Royces. Everybody loved those Rolls Royces. Yeah, seriously. The Scotland Yard files were originally closed uh, and they were supposed to remain so until 2033, but they were actually uh, reopened for historical research in 2003, and that's how we know so much about this case. So, uh... Guys, was it murder or... Well, first of all, I have to ask, did I miss anything? Uh, I I will say this. If you decide that you want a little piece of of memorabilia from this case, uh, there's a place called True Crime Auction House. And currently they have a letter on sale right now. It was originally $230. You can grab a John Bodkin Adams signed letter for the steal of $180. Oh, my. Hmm. Yeah, it says, Only a little note to sincerely thank you for the invitation to your select lunch and the genial welcome you gave me. Congratulations in the I can't read that. All success you have attained in your well-deserved, I think it says, new office, yours, Dr. John. Huh. Wow. Mm-hmm. That is That's weird. Fun. Yeah. So in researching this, there was actually a great headline that I stumbled upon. It was kind of like off to the side in one of the articles. And I don't know why this this brought me so much joy, but it was a uh, chubby British doctor accused in deaths of rich elderly ladies. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why that's funny either. But. Chub nuts poisons geezers. News at 11. <laughs> Right, so it was. It was just like so in your face, and I kind of missed that style of reporting. Where it's like this fat guy killed some old lady. Like, I just lost it. And then it's like a giant blown up picture of his big fat head, and so it made it even funnier. So I just wanted to share that. That is delightful. Everybody, point and laugh at the fat doctor. Ha 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 ha. 
but only because he probably killed some people. A lot of people. A lot of people, probably. So He looks like if the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man was made out of hamburger. Fuck him! (laughs) (laughs) On that note, do... I think it's pretty obvious what we all think. Do we think it was murder, or do we think it was euthanasia? He was just doing the kind thing for suffering souls who wanted out of this life anyhow. Well, here's a question for you. Do you think he inspired Dr. Kevorkian? I don't think... Here's the thing. Kevorkian... <clears throat> For as weird and creepy as Kevorkian was, Kevorkian literally seemed to believe, and to an extent, I, Kevorkian was right, he was alleviating suffering. I honestly believe Kevorkian thought he was alleviating suffering. I agree with that. This guy, because yeah, as far as I know, I don't think anybody left Kevorkian any money in their wills. Yeah, it's like I said, the financial stake changes everything. Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying Kevorkian didn't enjoy it. I've <laughs> seen the dude's paintings. His paintings are pretty fucking weird. Uh, he did a couple paintings in his own blood. Ugh. Yeah, there. I remember there was one painting he did. I'm going to see if I can find it. But Kevorkian's painting, it was... It was some dude with his head ripped off, and he was eating his own head. It was like at a dinner, but I don't, like, oh, go ahead. I don't always, I don't always need an illustration. Sometimes your words are enough, Scott. Yeah, yeah. I'm <laughs> looking at it now. Oh, I forgot that, that the good. dude had an apple in his mouth. You keep looking at it, and I'll keep not. <laughs> that's probably. I'm. Yeah, I need sleep. <laughs> yeah, I think it was. I think it. It, it now. It's possible that there were some cases where he was doing the the compassionate thing um, and, and easing a suffering soul out of this world, but I don't think by any means that all of his cases could have been that. So I think that probably more of them were likely murder than not. Yeah, I think at best one of them was that, personally. I think most of them were like, oh, this, this chick has money. I'm a killer. And when... The death is so non-violent and takes a while, you know, when it's this building up and building up of drugs over time to weaken the person. I and and him not knowing for sure whether he was in the will, I think he was probably able to rationalize it to himself. The human brain can can rationalize an awful lot and can change reality to make itself feel better about whatever's happening. So he probably was always, you know, every time he injected the drugs, he was like, yes, this will make her feel better, even though in the back of his mind, where he's not really paying attention to it, there's that little tickle that's saying, you're killing her, you're killing her, you're killing her, and you're going to get her money, and you're going to get her money, and you're going to get her money. And so, yeah, I think he was probably, I think he was probably even, he was by some accounts probably a fucking sociopath. So I, you know, I hate to throw that word around, Especially on a figure from the past that, you know, I'm, I'm not a doctor and I sure as hell can't diagnose a ghost. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, uh, I, I, I hate to, to do that, but it was, an, it was in an article I read, so I'm just quoting somebody else. I think the guy was fucking Looney Tunes. Sorry. <laughs> Dude gives me the creeps every time I saw his picture. Yeah, I did not like looking at his picture, especially his smug ones when he's, you know cutting a chicken or just gotten off of murder charges. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Anyhow. 
All right, so that was John Bodkin Adams. If you found that edifying, there's a couple things you can do to say thank you. And I'm going to tell you what those are as I try to open up my notebook to my reminder page and fumble around with it for a minute. There it is. Okay. Yay. So, and the most fun doing the tiny this week because the tiny was not our usual old tiny crimes, which are super fun always. It was old tiny newspapers. They were adorable. They were so cute and weird and funny. And yeah, so we're probably going to put up a couple of uh, examples of the stuff that we talked about on the social media so you can get an idea of what we're putting out there on our Patreon. That is patreon.com slash old timey crimey. We have all the backlog of tinies. That would give you several hours of enjoyment for the, even the ones that you haven't heard. I know we released some on the main feed for a while, but there's plenty more besides that. There's other bonuses you get, like shout-outs and a template for business cards. So you can be a flatfoot or you can be a private dick. I haven't done that in so long. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, go take a look at that and see if anything there interests you. We also, uh, if you don't want a long-term relationship, you're just a leave a buck on the nightstand and out into the night you are kind of person, that's fine too. Leave a buck on the nightstand for us at PayPal through our email address, oldtimeycrimey at gmail.com. You can also find us on social media. We are oldtimeycrimey on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And don't forget another thing you can do that's absolutely free, that involves no money, and you don't even have to follow us on social media. You just have to go to iTunes, review us, give us a nice five-star rating that you know we deserve because we just talked about, you know, this this crazy medical dude for I don't even know how long it's been because I... Scott's recording on his end. I never, I, I have no sense of time anymore. I don't know how long we've been recording. So I, um, I don't know either. It's time. Yeah. Time doesn't exist anymore in 2020. Nope, and that's a terrifying thing. Cause if time doesn't exist, how will we know in 2020 is over? Yeah, that's a good point. Mm. Uh, and, and another thing you can do is tell a friend. If you're enjoying the show, tell a friend. I know that if you have friends that are like you, they'll also like us. And then one last thing, uh, don't forget about my other podcast, Detectives by the Decade. That drops everywhere on Thursday. I just finished up Vidok 2, and when you're hearing this, you will have heard a very fascinating tale of toxicology. So uh, give that a listen and give that a try. And uh, yeah, okay, so that's all of our, uh, my bullshit. So what are we doing this weekend, guys? I am cleaning. I, I feel the need to clean. I'm looking around my house, and there's boxes everywhere, transformers scattered, uh, backpacks, blankets, clothes. I need to clean. So, yes, I will be cleaning. Nice. Amber? I, I too, am going to be cleaning. Um, we are going to be trying to redo our little office area to make it more office-like. Um. So that is our mission for the weekend is is to get a little bit better of a space going. Nice. Yeah. I'm Jackson is taking a half day on Friday. We were supposed to be getting a gazebo to put out like a big like 10 by 10 cloth gazebo to put out on our decks so that we can work outside more often. That has not been shipped yet, so um we might uh, just hang out or we might actually rearrange the living room. Um this is 
Oh, it's actually going to be sad when we do it because we've had ideas to rearrange the living room for the longest time. But of course, we had Squeak, and Squeak was was quite blind. So the vet had had told me when we discovered that she was going blind, not to rearrange any furniture. And so we did our best to keep things out of her way, so she would always know where she was going. And now um, Squeak has passed, so we can do that. It's just a matter of when we do that, I'm going to feel like it's more final, you know, and it's going to, so I, I don't know, maybe, maybe movies tomorrow. <laughs> maybe, maybe, not, maybe I'm clearly not ready yet for the rearranging of the living room. <laughs> yeah. If I'm like psychologically examining it from that emotional standpoint, I think I, uh, I can read myself pretty well at this point after a couple of decades on this uh, earth. So. What I would do, I would go ahead and rearrange the living room, put some jeopardy on, uh, because the Jeopardy, it's going to make your brain think, you know, so it's yeah. going to keep your mind off of stuff while you're doing it. Uh, and speaking of Jeopardy, you know, good luck to Alex Trebek, who's fighting pancreatic cancer. He's retiring. Alex Trebek is 80. He looks damn good for 80. He is so amazing. Alex Trebek has been such a fixture of our lives for so long. Did oh. you hear that who he wants to replace him? I saw headlines, but I didn't. Who, who does he want? Betty White. Oh, absolutely. Which is kind of funny because there was actually a Golden Girls episode where, like, there was they were trying out for Jeopardy, and Dorothy had a dream that she was on Jeopardy with with Rose Betty White, and I, it was funny. I'm fairly certain it was a joke, but I would love it. I would love to to just replace a 79 year old host with a 98 year old one. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, love, love, love Betty White. I mean, who doesn't? So, yeah, I'd fuck her. Our... <laughs> yeah, you would. <laughs> All right, so that has been our show for this week. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. We appreciate it so much. We appreciate you every single time you pick us out of all the other podcasts that you are subscribed to. And thank you, as always, for listening to our filthy, filthy words. We will see you next week. Bye. How do you look at yourself in the mirror? (laughs) (laughs) My sources this week are Dr. John Cocker on Doctor's Review, Ciarin Conliffe, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, on headstuff.org, Wikipedia, and Cameron Mitchell on the BBC. My sources for this week are TrueCrimeAuctionHouse.com, CrimeAndInvestigation.co.uk, Wikipedia.org, and Murderpedia.org. Wow. Christy, we have the same sources, except for I also have FindAGrave.com and Murderpedia. Well, that makes my show notes a lot easier. (laughs) 